Father, we just come before you and we worship you this morning. We sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And Father, before we hear your word spoken this morning, we just pray, God, that the offering of worship that we brought to you this morning, it would just be that you would just receive it this morning. And God, that this morning we can come and we can just lay down, God, whatever may be weighing on us this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to get out of the way of what you want to say to us this morning. God, speak to our hearts. Have your way in the rest of our service, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our next chapter, looking into the life of David, is 2 Samuel chapter 21. Whoa, we have seen David in all kinds of conditions. We've seen David at pinnacles of victory and success. We have seen David in the deep valleys of despair, darkness, poor choices, many consequences for his decisions. Um, he has been on a roller coaster. Some days you say, I can see why God called him a man after God's own heart, and then other times you go, I don't see how God could uh, call David a man after his own heart. And uh, in the life of David, we see much grace, we see much discipline, we see judgment and victory, kind of like life, kind of like life. We picked up David when he was just a shepherd boy. He was taking care of his uh, dad, Jesse's sheep. He was learning to use a slingshot. He was learning to care for people. He was learning leadership. He, God was training him for things he had no way of knowing. Now, as a young boy, if God would have made himself present in David's life and spoke to him, and if God were to spell out all the things that David would face in his life, and after all, that is something that many people long for. I've heard this more than once when people are going through difficulties in life. They say, you know, if God had just told us all the things that we would face in our life, we'd be able to prepare for them. And I go, no, most of us would quit. And, and I think David would have. I think there's no way if, if, if God would have sat down with David and said, now, David, let me tell you how your life's going to go. You're going to have to deal with Saul. You're going to have to deal with the giants. You're going to have to deal with your son, Absalom. You're going to have to deal with the situation with Bathsheba. You are going to have to deal with the guilt of Uriah and Bathsheba. You are going to lose a child at, at early on in his life. You are going to experience much hardship. You are going to be hunted down. You are going to be chased away. You are going to be misunderstood. You are going to be heralded as the great Messiah and the great victor, but you are also going to be demeaned. Half of, the, half of the country is going to loathe your very existence. And even those who are with you uh, are going to question you. And, and you're going to make decisions that are rightfully so worthy of questioning. 
Because David, your life is going to be full of great extremes, ups and downs. David, after hearing all that, I, I think David would have just said, I, I can't do this. I, I, and I think that if, if your last five years were spelled out for you, many of you would say, I would go, no, I can't tackle that kind of misery for five years. I, 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 if, if you think back to all the things that you have faced in your life the past five years, 10 years perhaps, you would go, there's no way I could have dealt with that all at one time in knowledge that I would know all those things are going to happen and then be ready to face those things because it would be overwhelming. And so the fact that God does not give us all the details of our life is an act of his kindness and grace. It's an act of his kindness and grace. He just doesn't show us all the pain and all the hurt and all the difficulty that we will face in life. What he does teach us, however, is we need to prepare ourselves for whatever may come. That's what he teaches us. He tells us that we need to have the faith, we need to have the resolve, we need to have the determination, we need to have the understanding of God, we need to have God's presence in our life. Our faith needs to grow. We need to get tougher. We need to get stronger. And we need to get ready for the life that will come. Because even though many, many preachers say today that if you're in Christ, it's going to be a great life for you. It's going to be a wonderful life for you. It's going to be a life of roses. It's going to be a life with no thorns. If you're right with God, then there's going to be nothing but blessing after blessing after blessing. But then you look at real people in the Bible, and God is either directly or indirectly teaching us what life constitutes of, we know that what they're teaching is not true to the Scriptures. And the truth is, it is more relevant, I think, and more beneficial for a preacher like myself to stand up and say, you have no idea of knowing what the next five years holds for you. You have no idea of knowing what the next 10 years are for your life. So, today, begin the process of getting ready for whatever life sends your way. You don't know about the illnesses. You don't know about the economic woes that you may face. You don't know about the conflicts you're going to deal with. You don't know what your children are going to face. You don't know where our country is going to be. There are no guarantees that you are going to be living this blessed life that everyone would crave. There's no way of knowing that. And it really is foolish for us to say, it's all in God's hands. I'm just going to let it lay there. And, 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 and I believe God. I believe he came to give me abundant life. And that means a lack of difficult circumstances. James himself says, when you face trials of various kinds, you are going to face some difficult days. Are you ready for them? You see, what we need to be doing now is preparing ourselves so that we are stronger, we are tougher, we are more in, entrenched in faith, in life change, in the presence of God in our life, and we are ready to praise God regardless of what comes our way. Have you considered my servant Job? God said to Satan. 
And, and, and Job said, no, nah, I hadn't considered him. You've got a hedge of protection around Job. You don't let anything bad happen to him. God says, let me tell you something. I believe in this Job, and I'm here to tell you that if, if I took that hedge of protection away from him, he will always worship me. He will always be faithful to me, no matter what you do to him. And of course, they went through uh, two chapters of misery in the life of Job, and, and Job struggled with that. And we know that at the end, he received, and he was strengthened, and he was worked through. But we would be foolish to say that we are not going to face similar things that Job has faced. We just don't know that. And I think it's really crucial that we all understand the importance of our preparing ourselves for difficult times. Not a doomsayer, just real, realism. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for whatever may come. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care for you. It doesn't matter that God's not powerful. It doesn't mean that God is not with us. It doesn't mean that God is not faithful to us. It, it altogether differently. It means that we need to prepare ourselves that no matter what we go through, we can reach forward and appropriate faith to carry us through. Appro appropriate his presence to carry us through. Learn now how to access the throne of God. Learn now how to trust God for tomorrow. Learn now how to pray. Learn now how to retrieve Scripture, how to have Scripture in your mind and your heart so that you can just unleash it on temptation and bad circumstances and the things that Satan would love to use to tear your life apart. So we pick up 2 Samuel 21, implied learning from the Scripture, as Paul said in Corinthians, the Old Testament is a gift to us that warns us, that guides us, that instructs us. And we have some implied learning here. After all David has gone through, after all the difficult days, after all the mistakes he's made and the consequences for his actions, after all the things that have taken place that have impacted his, his reign in a negative way that have nothing to do with him. We find it saying in chapter 21, verse 1, there was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. Man, you know, David, son, you just can't win. You can't buy a break, David. You've been through all that pain and all that torture and all those experiences. David, God's not at work in your life. I can hear his uh, antagonist saying to him, David, if you were really a man of God, all these things wouldn't be going on. Now we're dealing with a famine. We're dealing with a famine. We've been through the Absalom deal. We've been through the Saul deal. We've been through all the ites that have fought us and the Philistines. We've had to struggle with the giants of Philistines. And, and now, and now, David, you're the king of, of, and you're trying to consolidate the two divided nations. And a famine during your reign lasts for three years David, if you were a better king, we wouldn't be dealing with all these problems. You might be in line with that banner saying, David, you got to repent. Something's wrong here. 
Now, what does David do? There's a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about that. I love that. Took him three years to get there, perhaps. That's the way I read that. But this famine is ongoing, and it's, it's, of course, it's doing as a famine would do. We, we haven't lived in a famine. Most of us have not lived in a famine. I guess the latest famine would have been the Dust Bowl, you think, that we struggle with, even in, in, in our economy today and how things are. There may not be uh, crops from this location, but another location picks up the slack, Right? Unbelievable, or the world, we can in, import things in. Uh, the only times we've ever seen uh, uh, the shelves of Walmart is the day after Thanksgiving, or if someone says it might snow. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you're new to Texas, if the weatherman says it might snow next week, you need to go to the grocery store today because them Texans are going to, they're going to, flip out and they're going to buy every, they're going to buy stuff in that grocery store whether they eat it or not, just in case they get, you can't have no food. So he asked the Lord about it. If you're going through a real tough time, if you're having a hard time, if you're experiencing some negative circumstances and you can't quite figure out why, ask the Lord about it. See if there's a direct relation between the circumstances you're going through and your life. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe there's a blind spot. Maybe you don't figure that out. Maybe you don't know. What is there about this life that I don't have figured out? If you keep on running against a brick wall, you need to stop for a moment and say, running up against this brick wall is not a good idea. Lord, tell me about my life. Revealed to me, why do we keep hitting this brick wall? Why do I keep facing conflict? Why do I keep finding myself at the short end of the stick here? Ask the Lord. Let him show you. Maybe it's for his glory. Maybe it's to teach you a lesson. Maybe it's for you to grow. Maybe it's for a reason that has nothing to do with you. But it might be helpful to have a little insight to be faithful and keep on moving forward. Maybe it's for a witness, for a testimony. Maybe it's for you to be able to live in such a way and speak in such a way that people can see that God must be real because here you are finding joy and peace when your world shows that that should not be the result. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. Had nothing to do with David. But David can let the guilt go on this one issue. Had nothing to do with him. Had to do with Saul and his family. Saul been dead a long time now. Most of Saul's family are dead. But that's why they're having a famine. That's why they're experiencing a famine is because the scripture says, and, and you may question this, well, how in the world can that be? It be. It be. Now, you'll, make, you'll get paralyzed if you'll try to figure out verse 1 without a simple application to your life. Okay? It says very clearly that the reason why there's a famine in the land is because Saul tried to get rid of all the Gibeonites. 
That was against the Lord's instructions. So the king summoned the Gibeonites. They were not part of Israel, but were all that was left of the nation of the Amorites. The people of Israel had sworn not to kill them. Remember that? Long time ago. The people of Israel had sworn not to kill them, but Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to wipe them out. David asked them, what can I do for you? How can I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's people again? Well, money can't settle this. That's a cool statement too. Money can't settle it. Money can't make it right. You can't have a class action lawsuit and fix this. Money can't fix it. Money can't settle this matter between us and the family of Saul. The Gibeonites replied, neither can we demand the life of anyone in Israel. What can I do then, David asked. Just tell me and I will do it for you. David says, we can't survive the famine anymore. God has said that Saul's actions is the reason why we're going through this famine. And so there is a direct link between man's sin and man's consequences. We sure don't like hearing that in this modern age, but there are oftentimes a direct link between man's sin and consequences. Just tell me, I'll do something, I'll fix this, I'll do whatever we need to do. Then they replied, it was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in the territory of Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons be handed over to us, and we will execute them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. So you're going to kill more to make up for the sin of killing more. That didn't make sense, Lee. That's not educated man. That's not reasonable. That's not the way it ought to be. Well, we've got to lay many of those things aside when it comes to faithfulness to God and understanding God's ways. The Bible clearly says to us that there are things about God and his ways that we will not understand, but we sure need to embrace. We sure need to embrace. So, verse 6, it says, Verse 5, excuse me, says, Then he replied, It was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in the territory of Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons be handed over to us, and we will execute them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. All right, the king said, I will do it. The king spared Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson, because of the oath David had Jonathan swore before the Lord. And he gave them Saul's two sons, Armoni and Mephibosheth, whose mother was Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. He also gave them the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merib, the wife of Andriel, son of Bazarli, from Mahula. The men of Gibeon executed them on the mountain before the Lord. So all seven of them died together at the beginning of the barley harvest. Then Rizpah, daughter of Ai, the mother of two of the men, spread burlap on a rock and stayed there the entire harvest season. She prevented the scavenger birds from tearing at their bodies during the day and stopped wild animals from eating them at night. 
When David learned what Rispa, Saul's concubine, had done, he went to the people of Jabez-Gilead and retrieved the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan. When the Philistines had killed Saul and Jonathan on Mount Geboah, the people of Jabez-Gilead stole their bodies from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them. So David obtained the bones of Saul and Jonathan as well as the bones of the men the Gibeonites had executed. Then the king ordered that they bury the bones in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father, in the town of Zelah, in the land of Benjamin. After that, God ended the famine in the land. I don't think David would have wanted to gone through three years of famine. I don't think he would have had to consider this remedy. How in the world could you live through that? if you hadn't spent time being prepared for that. And then we see David's life, once again, having to face giants. It's reasonable, I think, for us to see in David's young life that when he defeated Goliath, he probably thought his life was going to be nothing but defeating giants. He was going to be a conqueror. I mean, after all, he would walk into Jerusalem. He would walk into a town, and people would shout out, Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. He was a celebrity. He was a hero. He was, uh, you know, the, he was the World War II hero being paraded around the country. He had the Medal of Honor. He had all those distinctions. And here he goes again facing a giant. Not just one giant, but four giants, and something else. Now, when he was a younger man, out there with those five smooth stones, he handled Goliath all by himself. But he can't do it anymore. He needs help. He's an old man. He needs help. He had to come to a place where he had to farm out the help to defeat the giants. Good lesson there for us. Don't face all the giants by yourself. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel, and when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became the weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him, but Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? During another battle, which is an interesting uh, forerunner to the coming of Christ, during the, during the battle at Gob, I'm sorry, verse 18. After this, there was another battle against the Philistine at Gob. As they fought, Sibachai from Hushna killed Saph, another descendant of the giant. So you got two giants down. During another battle at Gob, Elan, son of Jar from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Goth. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. Big, big men with big weapons. He got three down now. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, 
they encountered a huge man, check this guy out, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. They call him the 24-digit man. That's what it says. He's got six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. You say, that's got to be a misprint. That's got to be an error in, in interpretation, in translation. That's got to... When they were writing that out, they had to mess it up. No, they didn't. He was a big farm boy that had six toes on each foot and six fingers on each hand, and they called him 24-digit boy. And then they ducked. He was a big strapping lad, but all who was also a son of the giants, but when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. All right, what does that tell us? What does that tell us? What does that tell us about our life? That tells us about David's life. What does that tell us about our life? It tells us that even though you defeated the giant, you're liable to face more you don't even know about. And you may come to the point where you're not able personally to defeat those giants yourself, and you got to have some help. you got to have some help. Giants, what are the giants that you might face? So what do we do? The indirect teaching for us here is consider the next 10 years of your life, you have no way of knowing what's going to happen to you. I mean, the truth of the matter is, some of us are going to get ill. Some of us are going to lose our jobs. Some of us are going to have children that are going to cause pain and problems that we can't handle. Some of us are going to lose our parents. Some of us are going to lose brothers and sisters. Some of us are going to go through horrendous events. We are going to experience betrayal. There are going to be people in our life that right now, there's no way in the world we would ever believe that those people would betray us, and they're going to. And you're going to find that if you put your faith in people, that it is a huge mistake because things are going to happen and people are going to sour and people are going to change and they're going to disappoint us. And the odds of any of us in the next 10 years not going through some horrendous pain, a pain that we never ever would dream would ever happen to us, a giant with 24 digits knocks on our door. We got to get ready now. And we need to spend each day preparing for whatever may come our way. And we need to grow our faith. We need to put our ourselves in the hands of the Lord. We need to learn to live by the Spirit. We need to learn to live by the Word of God. We need to come where we're more entrenched in what God's Word says so that we can count on His faithfulness. And when we find ourselves up against an experience that we can find no joy in from the world situation there, we find joy in God. You got to get ready. You got to get ready. You got to get ready. 
We want to prepare you. We want to get you ready. It's God's work. It's not our work. There's no way I can do anything to get you ready. I can lead you to get ready. I can, I can hook you up to the harness and I can take you to the water, but I can't make you drink. I can't make you drink his word. I can't make you learn to be a man of prayer, a lady of prayer. I can't make you learn to be faithful now so that you're more faithful 10 years from now, but we can make some possibilities. We can put it out there and hopefully you will receive it. We are in the process of beginning. We got small groups, all kinds going on. Definitely worthwhile, definitely part of the process. Definitely need to be honored and be a part of and connected to. But D groups, we are starting D groups, the time where three or four men get together, and it is intense discipleship training. It's intense growth work. It is scripture memory. It is praying together. It is doing life together. It's a commitment of, of 12 to 18 months where people come together and they just get God's word and deal with it. There's not a curriculum. The Bible is a curriculum as it rightfully should be. But D groups that will assemble themselves, men meet with men and women meet with women. We have called them grow groups in the, in the past. I've called them grow groups, all kinds of groups. But to be groups that we build and we, we, we manage and we re, uh, multiply. And everyone goes through one of these groups. And for no other reason, not for a badge, not for a certificate on the wall, nothing like that, to get ready for whatever we will face in our future. You need to be ready. It's more important than that extra golf day a week. It's more important than the kids playing five sports instead of four. It's more important than working late. It's more important than anything you'll do. You have prepared yourself probably financially for dark times. You have probably prepared your house for the winter when time comes. You make all these preparations. How about preparing your life for whatever may come? Ken, come speak to us. Okay. So for, if you're visiting today, uh, my name's Kenny Smith. I'm the executive pastor here at the church. And... Um, in addition to lots of other things, one of my responsibilities is on our adult uh, ministry. And as Lee said, uh, helping to prepare our people for what may come and what we're commanded to do as uh, followers of Jesus. So I wanted to give you an idea of what that is and what kind of that overall roadmap looks like here at the church. Um, I wanna caution us as we talk through this, there's not one way. There are many ways to spiritual growth and, and spiritual maturity. Uh, but this is sort of a roadmap, if you will, to, to show how we at this church want to help prepare our people. So if we look at this chart, it's called the, um, go ahead and go back. It's called the uh, discipleship pathway. And the idea is that um, we want to help lead our people. So we'll start up in the upper left-hand corner, know God. Um, knowing God is what we're doing right now, right? So there's a lot of things that are included in that. Our weekly worship time together is part of what we do as uh, believers. We have large teaching events like we have uh, in, in the uh, youth building. We started uh, last week, we kicked off uh, a series called Foundations 101. And this is a large group of people hearing more about 
fundamental beliefs and, and what we believe, why we believe it, and digging in a little bit deeper. Uh, we have a quip series that we've offered in the past to help us prepare for things like marriage and parenting and, and how do we apply the biblical principles to our lives? How do we prepare to do these things and live life well? We also uh, help our people to not just read the Bible, but engage the Bible. And, and so we call it Bible engagement. Lee talks about reading the Bible for life change. We want to, to teach our people and lead our people to understand through the help of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and apply and interpret the Bible for ourselves. We want to be self-sufficient. And obviously prayer time, that is how we communicate with God. And so we want to teach our people, we want to lead our people, we want to challenge our people to trust the word of prayer and, and also seeking God's uh, work in our lives through prayer. So the second one is connecting with people. And you all have heard Lee's passion about this. And why are we passionate about, about connecting with people is because we are made for community. So we want to offer opportunities for all of our people, not just to come here Sunday morning and, and sit through the service, but to connect in lots of ways. So we have our Sunday morning groups that meet. Most of you guys know this in the adult building. Um, those are opportunities for, again, uh, teaching events. We go through scripture. We go through uh, maybe, maybe uh, life studies or subject-based things. Uh, we have home groups that meet throughout the week, and those are opportunities to take what the Lord has given Lee in his teaching and, and further wrestle with this. So we don't just leave it here, but we talk to each other, and we go through that as, uh, as, as a faith group. Uh, we also have Bible study groups that meet through the week, some in early in the morning, some in the evening, uh, uh, typically men, men, with, men, men and women with women. Uh, and we also have special interest groups that meet. We have basketball that has devotional times. We have crochet groups. We have areas where people get to get, get together around common interests. Uh, next, we'll look at the Make Disciples. And this is what Lee just talked about. Uh, I'm not going to go and do a deep dive, but if you're interested in kind of hearing more about what this is, you'll be hearing that term D groups. It, it stands for Disciple Groups. And, and basically, we're starting to launch those now. It's not a large program where we're, we're going to say, hey, go ahead and join, sign up for this, and we'll pair you together. But it is from the ground up. It is different than most of the other things that we do around here because, number one, it's not evangelical in, in, its, in its essence. So it's basically targeted at believers and helping our, those who are followers uh, to prepare for life and to respond to what God has, has challenged us to do. Uh, as Lee mentioned, uh, go ahead and go back. As Lee mentioned, it's three to five. That's a key number because they're very small groups. Um, and, and that includes a leader. One of the distinctions is uh, we don't have a teacher. So we trust the Holy Spirit to be the teacher in these groups. And so it's, you know, those three or four or five men meeting together, typically meet weekly. Uh, it's centered around the Bible. We go through, we're, we're going through reading plan. We're, uh, we're asking the Holy Spirit to bring our attention. The word is alive, amen? And so each time we read through the Bible, God has something to say to us, and we want to seek that in, uh, in a process. We track that, we write that down, and we get ready to talk about it so that as we meet, we can sit there and let the Holy Spirit shape us and, and work on us. Um, as it says there on the slide, we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to teach us and to reveal things and convict us. And so part of the good thing about a smaller group is that 
The accountability happens as you grow in trust and transparency. You share things about your life and your struggles, and we hold each other accountable to growth. And so the Holy Spirit is the center of that. He leads us and convicts us. Uh, we, uh, as Lee mentioned, we agreed to, to do this for 12 to 18 months. Seems like a long time to commit to something, but this is a long haul. This is a life journey, and we want our people to, uh, to really experience spiritual growth through this process. And it's also a replicating plan. And what that means is that at the beginning of these D groups, we agree that at the end of this period, you're going to go ahead and, and find some guys or gals, and you're going to meet with them, and you're going to do the same thing. So one of the keys is, if, if we go back to one of our founding scriptures, is, is the, the Great Commission, is Jesus tells us to make disciples. It is, a, it is a calling on all of our lives, not just pastors or teachers. So we're all called to do that. Okay, and then lastly, we want to do this. We don't want to end there, right? We don't want to just be prepared for this life. We want to live a life on mission. And so the living a life on mission takes a lot of different, uh, a lot of different aspects. Uh, but as Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to be my witnesses, telling people about me. So those, two key, those are two key things there. One is you need to be prepared to tell your testimony. You need to be able to share what God has done in your life. And we, we train our people in order to do that. We don't just do it to, to have it. We, we do it to use it. Same thing with the gospel. Many of us who spend a lot of time in the church, we're uncomfortable sharing the gospel because most of the time we're hanging out with believers. So Jesus says, no, I want you to go out in where you are, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in, you know, in, in, at the baseball field, wherever you are, I want you to sh tell them about me. In other words, share the good news. We live in a world that is hurting, that is in need of hope, and he calls us to bring this hope, this good news to the world. And so we want to train our people to do that well so that we can endure the storms and endure the giants that are sure to come. And then also uh, serving on mission. We have lots of opportunities here in the church uh, to, or serving at church, first of all, things that we need just to, to, to do what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week. And we also want to have local opportunities like Center of Hope and Beautiful Feet and places that we can learn and, and train our people to go share this hope. We have great uh, ministries like Titus Homes that are, that are uh, ministering to people in our community and helping them get a, get a hand up and back, back on track and we want to be the source of that hope. And it takes people, and it takes time, and it takes energy. And we also have uh, the global missions that you guys are all aware of. Uh, we go, where, you know, go to Peru, we go to Portugal, we go to Cambodia, and we go um, wherever he sends us to bring this message of hope. So lastly, as we look at this, I just want to make a couple comments on this. Again, there's not one way to do this, but this is a way to sort of organize your thinking. As you go from the upper left around in that clockwise fashion, what you find is that each one take each step through that pathway takes a little bit more. It takes some vulnerability. It takes a little bit more time to be in a small group. It, uh, in, in order to go into a D group, it's again, a larger level of commitment to, to say, I'm serious about my uh, faith walk. And I want to spend, I want to prioritize this over other things that I could be doing. And I want, to I want to invest the time to do that. And obviously there's things that are uncomfortable in that. But it's preparing us to live a life on mission wherever we are. And as Lee has talked about this morning, the storms are here. And if you're either you're, you know, either you're just coming out of one 
or you're in one, or you're fixing to come, get into one. And so we want to be prepared. Uh, Lee talked about scripture. You know, the, they say, we get in the word until the word gets in us, right? And so we want to, to, that's why we do scripture memory. That's why we read through the Bible is so that you can become more and more familiar. These are our tools. This is the fuel that, that drives us in the journey that he has for us. So, so this is kind of the overview. As, as you've heard uh, from Lee, what we have in the upper left is the word of God. We need the word of God. That's a, it's an important element of this. It is the key element. We need the people of God. We want to trust the Holy Spirit of God to lead us, to train us. We don't want to rely on a pastor to be there. We don't want to rely on a teacher to be there. We want to teach people how to interpret, understand, and engage the scripture through the Holy Spirit, not through our understanding. If you've ever tried to open up the Bible and make sense of things and don't ask the Holy Spirit's help, you're probably going to come up short. So we need the Spirit of God in order to do the work of God. And whatever that is, whatever he calls you to, um, it's different for all of us. But this process of spiritual maturity, that's what we want to equip you to do. Because God has called us as a church to make disciples who make disciple makers. And the way to do this is to go through that process of increasing commitment to follow Jesus and do what he says. And, that, and that's what it's all about. Okay, amen. Well, let me take uh, a minute to pray, and then we will, as the band comes back up, um, we will worship. Lord, uh, I just uh, come to you thankful for the teaching that you gave Lee today. Lord, uh, help us as we, as we think about just how to be obedient to the calling that you've put on our lives Lord, we know that storms are coming. We know that, um, that we don't know the future. We, know, we don't know what it holds, but we do know that you are true, that you are good, and that you have the best for us, and you've given all that we need through your word. And I just pray for all the people in this room that we would take that, uh, that calling and that command seriously. I pray that as we launch D groups in, in our church, I pray that uh, those would be full of you with, with men and women who are focused on you, who are committed to you, and just fully abandoned to following your path for our lives. And so, Lord, we just thank you um, as we hear this word. I hope that it changes us. Uh, and, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would be faithful, faithful servants and that at the end of our time, whenever that is, that you look upon us and you say, well done because that's what you've commanded us to do. And I just pray for that for all of our people. And Lord, as the uh, ushers come forward, I just want to pray for our offering uh, this morning. Um, Lord, this is all yours. And, and, um, and our tithes and our offerings are, are simply giving back to you what you already own. You don't need our money. You want our hearts. And I just pray that you would take... Uh, take these ties, take these offerings, and that you would use it for your purposes, that you would multiply them for the needs that are around the world. And I just pray um, that as we, as we give those, that we give generously and that we give faithfully to what you've called us to do. And Lord, as we, uh, as we worship again, I pray that we would be not singing songs, but we would be worshiping, worshiping a king who demands and, and deserves all of our honor and, and everything for the glory for your glory, for your purposes. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen.